My guest today describes themselves as the non-binary verse top poet of Brooklyn Drag. They are a member of the queer performance collective Switch and Play, appearing frequently at their bi-weekly branded saloon shows. You've also seen them perform at Sasha Velour's Nightgowns, you can see them as part of the Switch and Play documentary. I'm happy to have with me today the illustrious Pearl Harbor. Hello. Thanks for having me. So, growing up, what were some of the things you were interested in? Oh my gosh. Well, I came to the States when I was five. So I was, I was born in Macau, near Hong Kong. And when I came here, it was very disorienting. It was, I don't know, those first few years of being in the States, I don't have very many, many memories, but... As I was beginning to learn English, I remember just becoming a big nerd and, like, spent so much of my time at the public library, and I would just get, like, stacks and stacks of books that were, like, as tall as my body. I loved magic. I loved science. Anything to really, like, pass the time at my parents' restaurant. You eventually ended up at University of Virginia, correct? Mm -hmm. What did you study during your time there? I studied poetry. I studied poetry writing, I studied English, read a lot of poems by dead white people, mm -hmm. took a lot of writing workshops. Yeah, I, I didn't even know that like, contemporary poetry was a thing, that people were still going around writing poems and like making books and making that somehow a career of theirs. My first poetry class, I, would, I went in, I wrote a lot about just un unprocessed things that I had regarding my parents, a lot of family stuff, but also a lot of stuff about, like, poop or, like, farting or, like, really goofy shit, you know, mm -hmm. next to the really serious stuff. And everyone in class would just sit there and, like, take it absolutely seriously and tell me how to, like, improve my writing. And no other time in my life in, like, the institution of school were, like, my interests taken seriously, right? Or, like, what I, the questions that I had were taken seriously. It was always, like, learn this, learn this, learn this other thing that's important for some reason. When did you get into poetry then? I mean, I remember reading like romantic poetry in 11th grade and just being really swept away by it. And I remember studying Spanish in high school and reading Neruda and like mm -hmm. being really swept away by that language as well. So I should have known that I liked poetry. I should have known that language really moved me. But I didn't know that I could go into practicing it. You know, I didn't know it was still a thing that living people did. And there was a community around it that that would teach each other things and still talk about and things and like go to conferences together. So I started writing poetry formally within a setting when I was 17. What type of poets and poetry do you like to read? I'm not going to say favorite, but what do you enjoy? Yeah, this is a question I get on Tinder a lot, you know, because I put poet and drag performer and some it's always like, what type of poet are you? Which I just, I don't even know, like, how to answer that. Yeah. Or, like, what type of drag do you do? Which also, like, I don't really know how to answer. But yeah. But at least that's a funnier question. I like, it's so interesting. I like, I think I've always liked writing in received forms. So I write a lot of sonnets, which sounds super boring to people until you kind of explain why, or, like, kind of tell them, like, why sonnets are interesting. And especially as a queer per person, why sonnets can be really fun to mess with because there's such a tradition regarding the sonnet and there's so there are so many more ways to like mess it up and play with it is that why you would say the sonnet is interesting because it has the opportunity to be deconstructed in a sense mm, to be messed with absolutely that is one of the reasons for sure it's also just 
writing it is very satisfying because you kind of know. I mean, it's 14 lines, right? So you know in some ways like where you have to end or like you can step back and look at what's happened on the page. Mm-hmm. I like the brevity of it. I like how the duration is clearer. I like messing with the tradition of it. And I also just like thinking about it as a form, the way that like human bodies are forms mm-hmm. and the way that we recognize forms. And this ties into how I think about drag sometimes, right? Like to be a femme drag performer, you step on stage and there's a certain understanding or like legibility that you play towards. But then there are so many ways to play with that, like a wig reveal or like your makeup looks different or like there's a your gown is slightly different or the way you're moving is different. I I know that your poetry varies in form and you like the sonnet, but what would you say are some of the reoccurring themes, motifs, images, Mm -hmm. or just elements of your work? I write about my family a lot, unpacking kind of the legacy of immigration, the trauma around that, and going back through history, thinking about, at this point, like my parents' traumas and like why they did the things they did and whether or not I feel okay with that. That's one of the things. It was like history, family. A couple summers ago, I had this project in my mind where I just had like two questions the whole summer. is like, what is a feeling? That was question number one. And number two is, what is friendship? So I think like that's, those are still recurring questions that I have. It's like, Maybe they're a little broader now, like what is the usage of a feeling or how do we negotiate difficult feelings justly and morally? And also, yeah, how how are friendships constructed? How do they last? Especially amongst queer people, for sure. Like what is the function of friendship amongst queer people? On the topic of poetry, in poetry today, are there any modern trends in poetry that you aren't a fan of like I know Mm. that there's a lot of people that like to take digs at like the Instagram poets for example yeah yeah I think people take digs at the Instagram poets the way I understand Instagram poetry is that that's another biome that's kind of come out from the world of Instagram and that's totally cool that's not where I'm writing Mm -hmm. I think it's great that people are writing there and that people think that it's important to share words and how they feel and are genuinely attempting to do that but it's to but I don't think I would buy a book of it and I don't think I could write a book of it mm-hmm. I think the trend that I don't love in poetry right now and I was talking with a friend about this is the idea that like the speaker is always the great hero of the poem mm-hmm. it's always just shrouded in this like triumph and someone emerging from fire mm-hmm. at the end of the poem i don't know i would love to just read I, the poems that i really like are poems of people struggling in an everydayness mm-hmm. with petty feelings that yeah. i find to be humorous and relatable mm-hmm. but also an like a an earnest approach to that, to to one's feelings, not just, like, being snarky about it. When and how did you first get exposed to drag? I was watching RuPaul's Drag Race. As one does. In college. And I watched the first two seasons, 
And it was really the, the third season, mm-hmm. Manila Luzon, whose beauty was so inspiring to me that it made me think, oh, I wonder what I would look like in drag. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then I found Manila's YouTube makeup tutorial, which was one of the only really good ones with an Asian person at mm-hmm. the time. That was in 2012 yeah. on YouTube. And I just followed it, you know, like minute by minute doing her makeup tutorial. At the time, I had some experience with makeup because I had really bad cystic acne. Mm. And it left, you know, it left my skin forever changed. Yeah. So the way I was trying to deal with that was I, I learned how to wear foundation. I learned how to, like, cover up. And so I had some experience, at least, like, with wearing foundation. And I also... With that experience, I was working at Ulta, uh, mm. the makeup store. Yeah. So it felt like a natural kind of move to just... It felt like a natural summer project for me. For people maybe not familiar with your work, how would you describe your drag aesthetic? And how has it changed mm. since when you first started? When I first started, I said, like I said, it was a summer project in 2012. I would spend four hours painting my face on a Wednesday night with nowhere to go because the gay bar in town, the one gay bar in town only had things going on on like Saturdays. Mm-hmm. With nowhere to go, well into like 2, 3 a.m., I looked terrible, but I was just studying my face the whole time. And then at the end of the night, I would just wipe it off and go to bed. I would do that two or three times a week, I guess as a form of practice, but just kind of as obsession, you know, trying to unveil more and more of like what I would look like in drag, what that feeling was. And I think that did me really, that did a lot of good for me, staring at my face for hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, I guess my, the shorthand way to say it is that the drag I'm most proud of is that is my PowerPoint drag. The mm-hmm. drag where behind me is a text, kind of an in, internal monologue of what I'm thinking, yeah. and what I'm experiencing as I'm performing as a body on stage. Because mm-hmm. I feel that that's one of the shortcomings, at least for me as a drag performer, not being the best dancer or mover. Or I guess my strength would be in thinking and speaking uh, as a poet and as a writer. Mm-hmm. That To be able to incorporate that behind me as as a song as a popular song is happening is really exciting and i think kind of different for people are there any ways in which having a poet's mindset had proved either helpful or harmful in your approach to drag mm-hmm. and getting into drag okay i think this is where collaboration really helps mm-hmm. right Just to have other people's brains that don't think like yours that can fill in the weak spots yeah i love i love my brain i love the way it it comes up with certain things. Mm-hmm. I'm not the greatest at executing things because I don't have the most technical skills. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. It's great to have a team that you trust who can put your vision together or help you put your vision together. I think being a poet makes me question why a lot more than just maybe enjoying how stunning something looks. Because I'm always looking for the why or the narrative or the feeling underneath the the spectacle or, like, the scene. And that's, I think that's something that I want to preserve in, in the work that I make. 
like to be able to freeze frame any moment and say, oh, I chose this because X, Y, and Z and the narrative behind these props because it reminds me of, you know, this thing in my life. So I guess what you're saying is like you want to keep your art honest. Mm. Well, I don't know what this honesty would be for other people. But I want to keep it meaningful to me while still towing the line of like being visually impressive and technically clean and polished when it needs to be. And also just beautiful. Yeah. What would you say your relationship is with the audience then? If your work Mm. is such a reflection of yourself and a large part you're doing it for yourself. Gosh, that that's changed so much. I think my drag changed a lot in in 2014, 2015, my family and I were going through a humongous deportation proceeding. Mm. It was really rough. It you know, it f- fundamentally changed the way that I politically relate with the world. Mm-hmm. And for a long time it gave me a very dark outlook on America, mm-hmm. which still hasn't fully changed, you know. Well, on America and American people. Yeah. So what is, so I would remember getting on stage and seeing all these people and thinking, what do they know about me? What do they know what I'm about what I'm going through? Mm-hmm. So I would, I would, I made a bunch of acts that were about deportation, about kind of my emotional experience. And that was, I found that to be the most immediate way that I could release some of whatever I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those acts weren't the most beautiful. They were, many of them were very messy. Mm-hmm. But it helped me at least bring a more honest, a, a very honest, it feels like an understatement. It was just raw, mm-hmm. right? It was just nasty part of myself on stage. And I think. It was around that time that my performance, the <laughs> I realized, like like the intensity of my performance, the acting or whatever the channeling it was, I realized that if I channeled the most intense feeling that I had inside of me, and projected it into the audience, then that was like one of that was the way I could get through a performance and be effective and powerful. And that feeling was hatred. It was mm. just like getting on stage and just beaming hatred into the audience. Of course, that was how I was feeling, but I don't know what it looked like to other people, right? It just looks like intensity to them. But yeah. For me, it was like this hatred. And I think it was healthy for me to actually ex- have a place to express that. Can you tell me about your history with Switch and Play and how you ended up becoming a member? Yeah, so when I graduated from the University of Virginia with my poetry undergrad and as a as a budding drag performer, I took the Greyhound bus uh up the summer of 2013 to New York with like a bag. And I was I was I, I was I guess I was just looking for drag community I was looking for a job firstly but I was looking for a place to do drag so I went to Brooklyn Pride in 2013 that street fair that they have essentially and I saw one of the side stages 
people performing in, like, in a small tent. And I, so I went up to it, and I think at the time it was like Crimson Kitty. They were putting this spray tan all over the body. And I was like, oh, cool. Like someone's using props and doing a very Brooklyn-ish type of drag. It's so interesting. Very different than what I knew at the time. I watched in that tent some former Switch and Play members performing. And afterwards, I approached approached the person holding a clipboard who happened to be Miss Malice <laughs> standing on the side and was like, oh, this is cool. How do I sign up to perform? And Miss Malice was like, yeah, you we have you can't perform here right now, but we have a open uh, open drag night every few nights at Outpost at the time, that that bar, uh, Outpost. I think they're still around, but they had Switch and Play had an open drag night at Outpost that was centered on uh, fostering new performers. So I just signed up for that, and in the guise of, of being a brand new performer, but. I went there and I did Celine Dion's Power of Love. I had like a, uh, I had a, a fur stole. I had this beautiful long hair. I had a costume reveal that kind of like, s- that my gown kind of like slipped off of me in this watery way as I was like squatting. And then I would stand up and like, I would be super tall and my legs were shining. And I remember, I think, Miss. I remember seeing Miss Malice in the audience, like, shed a single tear during the <laughs> costume reveal at Outpost. And so I think I, I, like, really left an impression with them. And at that time, Switch and Play was going through some member changes. Mm-hmm. Folks were leaving. The roster was kind of switching up. And a few months later, I was asked to perform with them as a guest at Princeton when they were booked for a, like, a queer conference. Hmm. So I, I did a road trip with them, and that was that was when they popped the question of whether or not I would like to be a member. And I'm thank goodness I said yes, because I didn't really understand what the question was. Like, I had no I just moved up. I had no idea what it meant to be in a drag collective. or mm-hmm. And I don't think any of us really understood what it meant to be, like, what, what it would mean, what, mm-hmm. it, what it would become. Like, if you had told us that there would be a documentary about us, like, eight years later, I, I don't know if. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how we would have processed that. But thank goodness I said yes. How would you say Switch and Play has evolved since you first started? How have we evolved? I mean, aside from just the, the glow up, like the seeing people's style and costuming become more elaborate and polished and beautiful, I think we have also learned how to work together as a seven-member group more fluidly and, yeah, more fluidly. That has a lot to do with just communication styles and, like, meeting up and stuff. But for a long time, our, our membership was changing, you know? I think this iteration of Switch and Play, it's, I guess it has existed. It hasn't changed for three years now well yeah we're it's 2020 yeah oh my god wait (laughs) maybe four years yeah i thought it was 2018 for one hot second (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those days yeah it hasn't changed so it's just we're more familiar with each other Mm -hmm. and i've noticed that because we see each other perform so much i've noticed that our performance styles have like merged into each other's mm-hmm. performance styles at least for me like when i perform i end up 
doing the same gestures as like that I see like Zoe do sometimes or Davina do sometimes and I like I feel like I've learned how to move my face a little bit from the way that Kay James performs and it's kind of beautiful and kind of eerie I love it I love it yeah what great people to be able to mimic (laughs) (laughs) similarly what's a lesson you don't think you would have learned if it weren't for your switch and play family I internalized the importance of celebrating all different types of bodies from going to switch and play Mm -hmm. because I think at least for me there was a difference between seeing a paragraph of text on Tumblr talking about how all bodies are beautiful and all shapes are great and everyone deserves to be celebrated versus like standing in the back of a switch and play show and seeing like broody Valentino Mm. unveil a, a full like peacock feather worth of blaze yeah and then yeah that was one moment where i i shed a tear i was like this i understand everyone was screaming for this man on stage and we were all just showered with love and it was all it was just like this beautiful positive cycle of affirmation and i i just got it just clicked internalized inside of me i was like oh yes this is what it means to actually celebrate all types of bodies on stage and switch and play is so good at creating space for that, you know, with our lineups and the way that we book people, all types of people. To definitely shift gears, but still uh, kind of on the topic of drag, you seem to have an affinity towards Crocs. One, <laughs> one might even call you a Crocs enthusiast. So can you tell me when your appreciation of Crocs first began and why People who don't like them are wrong. Oh my gosh. I love Crocs. I think the day I quit drag is the day that I get a sponsorship with Crocs. (laughs) I think that's just my ultimate drag goal. If one summer in June Crocs reach out to me and asks me to do an Instagram ad, that's the summer I stop doing drag. I'm like, all right, I've already reached the pinnacle of drag. Can't go any better than that. I don't know. How do you explain love? Let's see. (laughs) I love how you can just slip into them. I love the colors. I love the strange holes. I I also love other types of like... I love clogs in general. (laughs) I have wooden clogs that I wear sometimes as a part of a monk costume. Mm -hmm. I have like platform crocs that are knockoff crocs. Yeah. Oh, I love how you can. it's very easy to glue things on the Crocs as well. So you, you can edit them very easily. Yeah, it's great. Crocs have been, have been a wonderful part of my drag career. I love taking them off during an act and just throwing them. Because <laughs> you can't really hurt anybody with a Croc that you throw to the downbeat of I Want to Know What Love Is. Yeah. I remember one night at a Switch and Play show, I was walking around barefoot in the changing room for some reason. And then my door, my, my, my toe, my pinky toe got caught underneath the door and it, it like tore the skin and I ended up having to get stitches the next day, like, like six stitches. Yeah. I saw that post. Oh, whoa. Really? <laughs> well, thank goodness I was wearing Crocs that night <laughs> because I was, while I was bleeding with like towels stuffed into my tights, 
I, I slipped my foot into a crock and I went on with the show. If I did not have crocs that night, I would not have been able to perform with, with shoes at least. What would you say is the worst you've ever bombed and mm. what did you learn from the experience? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I have a distinct memory about this. In, I think, it, was it 2017? Maybe it was earlier, 2015. It was 2015. I had a show as a part of a cabaret lineup with uh, Mix Vivian V was hosting it. It was at New York Live Arts. When I had said yes to it, I was really pumped. I was really excited to do it. This was months before the show. And then leading up to the show, I just like had an intense case of like mad depression. Like didn't want to leave the house. Mm -hmm. Like thinking a normal thought was just so much energy. Thinking a creative thought was like, drink it was so i was just like so exhausted trying to be creative and sad at the same time and just yeah trying to do all the effort of putting together a good show in a fancy performance space like new york live arts Mm -hmm. with someone like mix vivian v who you know is like a queer performance legend Mm -hmm. i remember i thought i did terribly and maybe I didn't do the best that I did, but I went out there. I was sad inside. I felt like I moved pretty stiffly, but the thing about if you perform enough, your body has the muscle memory to just do the thing mm-hmm. to some degree, and it will save you. Like I, th- I feel like that's what professionalism is to some extent, is like, can you replicate this in any situation? Yeah. Um, so I feel like that kicked in a little bit, but I, I thought I did a terrible job. I was super sad the whole time. There was like a singing portion that I just like balked at when that was super embarrassing. And I remember like just sitting afterwards at this taco store with my friend completely like in a dark hole. And I had, to, I don't know, that, that night I had to think a lot about like what success meant to me and what failure meant to me. Mm-hmm especially in something in drag where it's like most likely you're not going to see monetary returns as a form of measuring success. Yeah. Like most folks, you know, that's how they measure their success. It's like, Oh, I make this much money, Mm -hmm. which means I'm good at my job. That's the equivalency at least. So I thought about it. I was like, well, I didn't hurt the people that I love. Like I didn't hurt the community that I love. Mm -hmm. And I guess if I didn't harm anyone that I wish to protect or wish to uplift, then that's not failure. Mm-hmm. Because that same night, there was another performer who I thought had some very offensive music or like really kind of like transphobic music, mm-hmm. transphobic lines. It was like a cis gay man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why does he feel so good performing? Like, why does he look so happy doing his thing when he's his lines his his bars are like super transphobic i don't understand yeah so that was what i was wondering backstage it's like if this person can feel this great doing a thing that i find to be heinous then i shouldn't feel that bad but firstly let me try to understand what success and failure looks like to me because i can't go on comparing myself to other people what's one number you've seen someone else do that you wish you would have come up with yourself oh my god immediately west dakota's 
I will always love you, Macarena. Mm. Yeah. I just That's a classic. <laughs> it's just so good. It's just so and it's like I could physically do that. Mm-hmm. I should have thought of that. I didn't think of that. But I'm happy that West Dakota does it because she does an amazing job. Finally, uh, in terms of your poetry and drag careers, do you have a final goal or aspiration? Yeah, I always dream of putting together like a 45-minute mixed-media drag poetry uh, performance. And I'm, I'm working at it now. It's really, I have like 18 minutes of material that I can do that like is like two different drag acts, a little video portion that I made, and some narrated poetry and slideshow. But to push it to like a full real show length, that's been really challenging because I, aside from smoke and mirrors, like yeah. I don't know what model I have to like do that and I, I don't want to be as high production or like elegant or crisp as smoking mirrors mm-hmm. and also i probably can't can't without <laughs> without like paul money <laughs> yeah without paul money without sasha valor's like genius mm-hmm. in you know, hard work essentially where she learns and retries over and over again how to projection map and like yeah and all the help that she, she also has with from her team so but you know i like even just before this, I was like on Amazon, looking up different, like different pieces of laundry equipment that I could abuse to make into a set. You mm-hmm. know, I was because I really want to build at least right now like a clothing line mm-hmm. <laughs> that I can just make into a projection screen, uh-huh. but also the clothing line that like my mom used when we were in China, and that's how we dried clothing mm-hmm. and. I just think that's a really cool um, yeah. inter- inter- intersection. Yeah. So with that, where can the people find you, follow you, see you, and or consume your media if they are interested? Mm. I am at The Illustrious Pearl on Instagram. At The Illustrious Pearl. I always have to spell it for people. The next show that I'm going to be doing is actually, I think it's in, April, April 2nd, uh, and that's at the Center for Book Arts. It's for their fundraiser. Mm-hmm. It's an after party. The next Switch and Play show, which I will be at, is going to be a special theme show that is at Littlefield on March 21st, and that's on a Saturday, Littlefield in Brooklyn. And it's the, the theme is Adam's Family, so it's the family value show. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.